Quem nunca ouviu falar de um senhor pernambucano Chamado de Paulo Freire, um latino-americano A Hundred Times Freire Dialogo Centenario Paulo Freire The podcast of the Paulo Freire Center Austria A very warm welcome to our first episode of our podcast Hundred Times Freire My name is Gerald Faschingeder, I am the director of the Paulo Freire Center in Vienna, Austria. The title of this podcast is Research, Teach and Learn Beyond Disciplines with Paulo Freire. So we want today to discuss the question, what can Freire's understanding of research help us in regard of transdisciplinary approaches to read and to write the world? I am glad that we have today two guests, one from Brazil, the other one from Austria and Switzerland. And with them, I want to discuss the transformational aspects of Freire's problematizing approach, which enables peoples to grow and become part of the change that is happening now. In this sense, Freire's thinking can serve us as a guide to reclaim the right to research for all people. The first guest is Danilo Streck. He is now a professor titulario at the University of Caixas do Sul in Rio Grande do Sul in Brazil. Before, during long years, he was teaching as a professor in the University of Sao Leopoldo, also in Brazil, in the graduate program of education. And our second guest is Uli Filsmeier. She originates from Austria, studied at the University of Salzburg and was during 10 years teaching uh, and researching and also learning at Leuphane University of Lüneburg in northern Germany. And she is now working in Switzerland. And Uli Filsmeier, since we know each other, related uh, intensely to Paulo Freire as Freire was inspiring her in her work. But this is what I want to ask her, so I will not tell too much about our guests. Uh, yeah, do you want uh, to introduce yourself a little bit in regard of uh, how was Freire uh, interfering in your life? I'm saying now, how was he your companion in your personal growing? Who wants to start, of the two of you? Go ahead, Danilo. Yeah, I can start. Well, first, uh, Uli and Gerhard, it's really a pleasure to be with you and share once more some thoughts about Paulo Freire. Yeah, it's, it's been a very busy year, fortunately. I'm happy about everything that's happening in Brazil, in Latin America, and in other places of the world. Uh, the, my trajectory with Paulo Freire, Paulo Freire was in our state in the beginning of the 1960s. So we actually produced a research, developed a research project, project about Paulo Freire in Rio Grande do Sul. And at that time, in the beginning of the 60s, I was in a Lira seminar. And that means a, a, a seminar, uh, an institution from the Lutheran Church to prepare teachers for the schools. So with 16, I went to the countryside to become a teacher. So the, when dictatorship started, I was uh, about 300, 
400 kilometers from Porto Alegre in a little place. So I didn't even realize much about what was happening. Yeah. This was 1964. At the university beginning of, at the end of the 60s, um, the dictatorship become, became really stronger and much uh, stricter. Yeah, it was a heavy period. So we didn't study Paulo Freire at the university. And my, that's why my first contact with Paulo Freire was at Princeton Theological Seminary. And it's a very interesting story because my supervisor, he, in the, at the first meeting, he told me, um, well, you know, we are going to study John Dewey and other authors and also Paulo Freire, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. You probably know much about this man, this author. And I was really ashamed. I didn't know Paulo Freire. Yeah? So uh, this was my first encounter with Paulo Freire. And since then, uh, it became uh, kind of a, a, a must in my uh, readings and my work. I guess I was fortunate at that time to be uh, in a context of theologians. Because at Princeton Theological Seminary, I also met Richard Shaw. And Richard Shaw is a very important person for Latin America. Because he was kind of a, a mentor of Orlando Falsborda, who is known in action research. Yeah? Orlando Falsborda worked with Richard Shaw at a, a, a Presbyterian congregation in Colombia. That's interesting, right? So in uh, Richard Shaw uh, had quite a close relationship with Paulo Freire uh, because he used the manuscript in, in Pennsylvania, the manuscript from Pedagogy of the Press before it was published. And so he uh, eventually was one of the uh, uh, those responsible for publishing it in the United States and he also wrote the preface to the book in English yeah at least in the uh, North American uh, edition well I eventually then I did my doctoral dissertation on, Dr. on John Dewey and Paulo Freire, the political dimension of education, especially in terms of method. Then I returned to Brazil. My first job was again at the Lutheran Theological Seminary because I had a scholarship from the Lutheran World Federation in Geneva. Yeah. And, um, well, here it was, a, a, I think, a privileged uh, time uh, because it still do, it was, there was still a uh, heavy hand of the dictatorship in the academic world. And theology, in a, in a sense, really was a, a, a kind of an open space for many people. Yeah. 
So it was a very lively period in terms of, of, uh, of thinking and, and doing and acting. That is a time of the, um, the, the basis communities or grassroots communities in, the, in Latin America, liberation theology and so on. So um, then actually I started to read Paulo Freire, teach Paulo Freire, uh, do work uh, with students also based on Paulo Freire. At that time, I also had the opportunity to uh, meet many people in Latin America. We developed uh, 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 educational projects, I guess, from Mexico to Chile. It was a very interesting time. Ecumenical, it was an ecumenical popular movement in Latin America. Well, um, but all, always kind of relating Paulo Freire to Latin American pedagogy. I think that this has become a kind of a leading uh, uh, track for me in my work, and I'm still working on it because I'm. I'm. I started to think. Well, Paulo Freire cannot be the only uh, important educator we have. Uh, there has to be something before Paulo Freire. So really, we got back to our history, which is a big. Uh, uh, this desert in terms of uh, of, of um, pedagogical thinking, yeah. So at the same time, while Paulo Freire was important in teaching, uh, while I'll, I I went more into the academic context. He also became an important reference for research methodology. Yeah? So the idea of uh, action research, participatory research, uh, trends in interdisciplinarity, it became also part, say, of my way of doing uh, research. Yeah? And that's where I'm, I'm today. Happy to be with you. Welcome today. Thank you for this very fascinating um, yeah, trajectory that you told us about. Uh, so you met Freire when you were abroad. I found this really interesting. You had not to go to exile, but uh, yeah, you studied abroad and there only you learned about Freire because he wrote in, in the years during the military dictatorship. Uh, and you had this way going from the theological science over different disciplines now to the research. Uh, Uli Fiesmeyer, you come from another discipline. You have not studied theology and you were not in a Lutheran seminary, but you studied geography in Salzburg. Nevertheless, you met Freire in a mental sense. Uh, how was your trajectory with Paulo Freire? Why do you met him? Isn't it paradoxical? Danilo needed to go abroad and Paulo Freire, I would say, met 
me in the Austrian mountains when I was pupil still. I was studying um, in uh, a rural area of Austria and I loved geography already by then. And I had an extremely chaotic but interesting geography teacher. And I was asking myself all the time, what is the idea behind that chaos? Because I felt there was something more about his approach to um, educating us. And when I entered university, uh, I found his PhD, which he recently finished while we finished high school. And I found out that he experimented with pedagogical approaches that he learned from Paulo Freire. So of course there was a very, very big interest of myself to learn more about this way and approach to learning. And I started to read uh, Paulo Freire's work. And uh, later on, when um, after having finished my university studies and worked some years in Latin America and in participatory regional development in Austria, I was um, yeah, getting the opportunity to enter academia. And during my first year as an assistant at Salzburg University, I was invited to join a so-called transdisciplinary research project which was by then in the early 2000s, quite a, a new a novel term in the academic landscape in Austria. And uh, in trying to understand what this particular research approach, the transdisciplinary research approach is pursuing, I got uh, back to my um, literature of Paulo Freire because I felt that there were some commonalities. And for those not being familiar with the term transdisciplinarity or transdisciplinary research, it is an approach uh, to uh, knowledge production and action, one could say, that considers different ways of knowing and different ways of acting as complementary to transform the world and to better understand the world. So it's a form of research that not only is grounded in scientific methodologies, but that acknowledges that the scientific research is one way of um, appropriating the world uh, and, and understanding the world complementary to other ways of knowing, of other ways of producing knowledge, for example, in, in professional life or in everyday life. And I was reminded of this very, very um, important and key phrase I've learned of Paulo Freire that uh, comes from his approach to alphabetization, which is that uh, alphabetization is not in the first sense or first step to learn um, to the letters to be able to write and to read, but to learn to read and to write the world. And it was very important for me to develop an understanding of a research that is not grounded in a disciplinary tradition, that is not grounded in an academic tradition, but that considers different ways of appropriating the world. And with that belonging to the world as complementary and as crucially important to be linked to each other. 
So this was in the early 2000s, back somewhere in the Austrian Alps. Thank you. So you took the Pedagogia dos Oprimidos to the mountains, and you can I imagine you sitting under the, the cross at the top of the mountain reading the Pedagogia of the Oppressed and then singing about Falsborda, Paulo Freire, and Danilo Streck. Perhaps you already read a text from him. I don't know. Is this the right concept and approach? Well, you can imagine an image like this. Uh, most importantly is that I found uh, the pedagogy of the oppressed in the mountains, back mm -hmm. in the valley of Gastein. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what does it mean concretely? Because it's, it's fascinating, you speak about transdisciplinarity, but this is a term that uh, Paulo Freire never used. And you told us it was starting in a time when he was already dead. He died in 97 and you were starting at university after 2000. So how can this be? Is this anachronistic or is it just genial? Uh, a term comes into being because there is time for a certain term that um, reflects and uh, mirrors societal development. And in the early 2000s, when in uh, European countries, the discourse on transdisciplinarity gained momentum, it was a time where critique on the uh, higher position of scientific knowledge compared to other knowledges was already um, expressed for decades. But it was only, that's my interpretation of the situation, it was only with a growing awareness of limitations of scientific practices to really face pressing complex societal problems, the poly crisis as Morin would call it, that um, the discussion around around forms of research that not only rely on scientific knowledge production gained momentum. And the ideas that were elaborated were strongly linked to discourses of participation, of democratization of knowledge, but it was also a discourse that related to uh, different abilities of humans to engage with the world researching. So there was already this idea, idea around, I do remember uh, an article uh, published in 2006 by Apadurai, who called for the right to research. So very, 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 very strong claims to rethink research as there have been strong, as there has been strong criticism on the dominance, the hegemonic power of uh, disciplinary grounded uh, Occidental science. So I would say um, there were simply parallels. And uh, when reading even the pedagogy of the oppressed, but particularly also later work of Paulo Freire, you will find what Danilo referred to already, that he also really nurtured uh, research or thinking about research, and that he also has a certain understanding of research in his work, which spoke to me somehow and which allowed me to see certain parallels uh, to make Paulo Freire's thinking and his praxis fruitful for transdisciplinary research. Fascinating. May I add something here? Yes. Um, I would say uh, since the beginning, 
His work was transdisciplinary. Uh, his action was transdisciplinary, although he didn't use the word. He used interdisciplinarity when he actually worked or, or did research in a transdisciplinary perspective. Why? Because since the beginning, you had experts, you had academics, you had linguists, you had sociologists, psychologists, but you had people from the community participating who were neither um, philosophers, no ped pedagogues. Uh, they were simply uh, people from the community trying to uh, being together with this, uh, this group of, uh, say, experts or academics to, to read uh, the, the world of, uh, of, from this community, to read the world in this place. Yeah? So, and even when he worked later as Secretary of Education in Sao Paulo, um, his um, uh, proposal for education, his policy was really interdisciplinary. Inter he used the concept of interdisciplinarity, but I, I think if we would, uh, if he would join us here in our conversation, he would agree, well, it really was more transdisciplinary than interdisciplinary. Yeah, so I guess, we can really feel free or should feel free to say that his work was um, uh, transdisciplinary and maybe one really uh, in, in this sense, an important source for, um, met for research methodologies today. Paulo Freire is better known in the field of research methodology in other countries than in Brazil. Yeah. So uh, I have students sometimes here in master degree students or doctoral students who do participatory research and use Paulo Freire as a theoretical reference. When it comes to, to empirical studies, they say, uh, what references do I use? <laughs> and so I get, well, have a look at pedagogy of the oppressed. <laughs> I wanted to ask you before if it's easier from a Brazilian perspective to join the thinking of Freire as he's more present. So <laughs> thank you for answering a question I never answered before. <laughs> okay. But I, I wanted to ask you what, what is your what was your motivation to work in such a way? Because there's a very heavy critic of expert on you, you were a university professor on Uli Tambe. Uh, you were working at the university, uh, so you are experts. Why should you change the perspective? Is this not the right order of things that the expert knows? And uh, the people outside, they don't know so much, and we have to teach them and explain that, everything about climate change and mobility and, uh, yeah, all these political economic questions that are relevant. Why did you change the site? Is it a political question? <laughs> Methodological. If I may, 
um, despite we are one as persons, we are multiple in the sense that we are not only researchers, doctors, um, or other professionals, but we are at the same time citizens, we are brothers, we are sisters, we are mothers, we are daughters. And probably it is a discovery after having been trained in educational systems that teach you a sense of expert that you were now uh, referring to Gerald. Probably it is uh, already kind of a, a first step of liberation to realize that despite being in a particular role, belonging to a particular institution, a societal institution with specific responsibilities, also abilities, despite all that, um, referring back to research, research is a human ability. And liberating myself from limiting my identity to a belonging of an institution or specific professional abilities allows me to see everybody as a potential researcher. Everybody, we could say everybody is a researcher, but with the potential to also more systematically explore one's everyday life or one's particular existential situation we are in. And this is a perspective that I personally think is really crucial to rethink the knowledge system in our society. And it also links to liberation in that sense that as we learn from Paulo Freire, the more we are engaged in a situation and the, the more we are challenged by a situation which arises when we engage more profoundly, eventually more systematically to better understand where we are and what we are into in our concrete existential living situation. This is where uh, people can grow and this is where they can become more human. And this is, according to my understanding, a crucially important way of, uh, yeah, of, of a kind of growth that Paulo Freire encouraged us very much to strengthen and to, to, to work ourselves. Become more human, Danilo, is this your perspective also? Yeah, I think it's uh, becoming, uh, becoming human in the sense that all of us are becoming humans and human. Uh, and uh, um, I would say that, well, how do I come to, to kind of, of live this uh, approach? Yeah, it's not only understand, I think really living in my work and life. It's um, when uh, it's, uh, when Paulo Freire, I think, challenging us to see the other as also someone that knows, yeah, it makes a difference. Someone that produces culture as I do, uh, he kind of mythologizes the idea of culture, that uh, the high culture, a low culture, uh, everybody produces culture. 
and um, well, people know uh, more about their realities than we do. They know how where things hurt. Uh, I think he he taught me at least to to develop another perspective of looking at people, looking at the world and how to produce, uh, to deal with knowledge, not only produce, deal with knowledge. Uh, because he really doesn't dichotomize teaching from doing research. He, he would say, well, it's all part of the act of knowing. Yeah, there are different, these are different dimensions of the act of, of knowing. Yeah, Gerhard and Uli, I would say this, it's really a, a perspective, I guess, he helps us to, to develop. At the same time, I guess we came to a point where um, the sci science or the scientific perspective, while it needs to be criticized, sometimes got lost. <laughs> and so at least in, in Brazil now, we've, uh, we go back to science. Well, thanks to science, we, uh, we may not have lost more lives as we did because people advertised medicines that didn't really work, our president, for instance, yeah? So it's important to go back to Paulo Freire in his last writings, when he emphasizes the right thinking, yeah, right thinking, he writes a lot about. And at the same time, uh, method, methodological or methodic, he uses sometimes uh, rigorousness, yeah? So I think it's important keeping this in mind. So seeing that, uh, saying that everybody knows, everybody speaks about the world he lives in, it doesn't preclude not being rigorous in our thinking and in dealing with the thoughts of others. If I, if I may add to this, Danilo, and I hope I got you right, um, there's very different ways of researching in the world, according to my understanding. And as with methods in science, you need to choose the appropriate method to gain results that respond to your research question. Mm -hmm. uh, I consider the different research approaches being complementary. That said, uh, that shouldn't um, prevent or that shouldn't um, weaken criticism of a techno-scientific approach to many, many crucial subjects uh, that are today dealt with without any ethical, political discussion, yeah. or probably, yes, discussions in, in selected committees, but often not broadly, um, uh, ongoing in the particular academic environment, for example, where knowledge is produced in a very specific way. 
But what I would like to highlight here is that while acknowledging that there is a need for different scientific approaches to understand, it would be ridiculous to deny that. And it would also kind of uh, reject uh, the historical trajectory that we are in. And it would also made it, make it impossible to make such a podcast here if we kind of would have avoided a certain technological development. But I think it's really important to say that there are different ways of researching and that research as such is absolutely not limited to a scientific institution and scientifically acknowledged uh, methodologies and according understandings of rigor. Would you concretize this idea in regard, for example, of corona-related research? As Danilo was mentioning, corona and the discourse the Brazilian president is putting over it, but the question of expert is really crucial. And it's also a question of survival for a lot of peoples. And you mean that nevertheless, another approach is possible and needed. What can it mean concretely? Well, let me give an example. During the first lockdown, together with colleagues, we started a transformative mixed methods research project where we tried to grasp uh, how people experience the situation. It was emphasizing well-being and housing during this first lockdown. And all of us were in the same situation. It was a very interesting experience. Uh, being kind of trapped uh, in your home office as those you would research are being, um, yeah, being exposed to uncertainties and unknowns with all consequences, adapting to new routines because old ones have been ruptured. And what, what was so interesting about this research constellation was that it was obvious that we could not look at others as if these would be our objects of introspection. But kind of research partners. And what we did by then was creating spaces and creating opportunities for people to explore their own situations, for people to articulate their experiences and while exploring, and in a, in a couple of seconds, I will, ex I will explain how this has been done, while exploring their own situation and while articulating and reflecting on their situations, uh, there was not only knowledge gained, but there was also um, yeah, a, a reflexive stand that enabled people to create a certain distance, with regards to panic, frustration, pain, uh, whatever feelings uh, would have characterized the situation. And it allowed them to better understand the situation and ideally their own behavior or their, their own reactions. So what we did basically was we programmed an uh, application where people could um, make observations and share sound video um, image um, documentaries about the situation and we created what we called citizen think tanks where around different subjects uh, related to the changes of everyday life we gathered citizens as research partners to explore different questions so this uh, is 
what I refer to as complementary to the very important and crucial medical research, epidemiological research, socioeconomic research, and so on and so on that has been done and that is currently being done to face the pandemic. Thank you. You enlarge our perspective today. To come slowly to last words as our time is going out, is this a transformative moment of praxis? Today, my guests are Danilo Streck and Uli Filsmeier, and they both together wrote an article under the title, The Transformative Moment of Praxis, Paulo Freire's Guide for Radicals. Uh, is this something radical? Is this transformative research, Danilo, do you think? Yeah, I... I, I was wondering while Uli was speaking, uh, what what makes so many people from so many uh, so different places connect with Paulo Freire, and I I think there is something quite simple to his ideas, quite simple. It's not the easy. Simple is not the same as the easy, right? So uh, it's simple, and, and I'm reminded of a, a little publication by the World Council of Churches. There was Ivan Illich and Paulo Freire at risk. Yeah, you probably know it, uh, where it says, um, well, pilgrims of the obvious. <laughs> and Paulo Freire, in, uh, I guess, more than once he says, well, I'm a kind of a pilgrim of the obvious. What is the obvious? The obvious, well, you, you are an incomplete being living in a history, in a world which is not finished. So uh, you, you better think about it <laughs> and try to think for yourself and together with others how you can make the, of this world a better place and how you can, can come a, a better human being. Yeah, the idea of being more, of ser mais in Portuguese. So uh, I think the, the, the transformational aspect, as you asked Gerhard, is very much related to this problematizing uh, approach where you keep asking questions and keep answering these questions and you, you, you start to enjoy asking these questions and they, they bother you too, but you, once you engage in this process, um, you, you, you really, you become part of change which is happening. Yeah. That's what I, I think it's, uh, this is about the transformative moment or process. Sometimes it may be a moment, sometimes it may be a conjunction of moments, uh, more of a process, yeah? Uh, there is a nice poem in his book, um, uh, Education as Practice of Freedom by Tiago de Mello, the poem, uh, uh, poema, the, 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 the poem of the phon uh, phonemes, yeah, that's phonemas. And where he tells, well, uh, everything 
starts to happen and to change when you combine one letter to another and you combine these letters with the word, world you live in. Yeah, quite simple. So this is transformation. The transformation through phonemes and yeah, a radical thought. Uh, Uli Fiesmeyer, your last words. Are you a radical by keeping asking questions? Thanks for this wonderful question. <laughs> um, I would say uh, one who asks questions is continuously on the way, as uh, Walter Cohen mentioned a few days ago, uh, to the beginning. On the way to our beginning, to, to, to a, a, again and again, a new starting point, um, which relates to this idea that Paulo Freire um, called the world, uh, considering the world as becoming, right? And in this sense, asking questions is a sign or can be a sign of uh, a way of of becoming and this requires not settling down comfortable in what Paulo Freire called a circle of certainty, of stability. And I think what makes a radical is being willing to move, to be on the move and to be open and curious to, um, welcome what is not known yet, what has not been thought of yet, what is really new to us and makes us grow. Thank you very much for this perspective, uh, just keeping in movements in a certain circle of growing. And we came back to the term of humanization. We used it at the beginning of our short talk. Today, the guests of this first podcast, uh, Under Times of Paulo Freire, Dialogos Centenarios Paulo Freire, were Danilo Streck and Uli Fiesmeyer, both are teaching at universities and making since long research work, inter and transdisciplinary research work inspired by Paulo Freire. But nevertheless, they look at Freire from different perspectives, gender roles, continents, ages. And I'm very thankful that you were ready to encounter in such a dialogue. Um, I have now the impression Paulo Freire is not dead <laughs> since 97, but still alive in our minds and in the concepts and in these discussions. And there's no question if he is relevant for our days now as you said and explained in a lot of examples. So thank you very much. My name is Gerald Faschingeder, and with this I say good evening, goodbye, good morning, wherever you are, sleep well. Bye-bye and keep going on. Muito obrigado e até logo. Hey, viva Paulo Freire!